the sun boom, you need to glorify God. The moon, boom, you need to glorify God. You know, rushing wind, yeah, you're strong, but because of God. And everything is like, you know, all of creation is so glorious because it's showing off the glory of God. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Anae Funka, and today we will be looking at the weird and wonderful life of St. Francis of Assisi, breaking down the lyrics to all creatures of our God and King, and getting some encouragements from the good book. But first, and some of you will be able to recite this by heart by now, if you're listening on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell so that you're notified when we drop a new episode, which by the way is every Monday. (laughs) Um, We are also available anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, but the best way of all to keep in touch without worrying about big tech and algorithms is to head over to himpartial.com and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. This is only released once a week, it's not spam, and we put in a bunch of fun bonus content that you're not going to get anywhere else. That is correct. So make sure you go over to himpartial.com and sign up today. So our song for today, I feel like is well known by my generation because of the David Crowder band. Uh, Even just reading the title transports me back to the mid 2000s um, where we were singing along to it in our college group. (laughs) Hands in the air. Yep, that's right. Um, So today we will be looking at all creatures of our God and King. But before we dig in, Kara, what is your history with this song? Do you have one? No. Like, I think I've probably seen it on Songs of Praise or some other thing was just like a bunch of old ladies in a church singing it old ladies how dare you i'm not as trendy as you with your david crowder and your hand raising and stuff (laughs) well um here's some fun facts about this song in the united kingdom the hymn was prominently featured in the pilot episode of the comedy program mr bean which i'm not super familiar with it was in the pilot episode where Mr. Bean is in church and the congregation is singing all creatures of our God and King, but he doesn't have a hymnal and his neighbor refuses oh, to share. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe it wasn't songs of praise. Maybe I'm thinking maybe of the Mr. Mr. Bean episodes. Well, I am not, I'm not a huge, like I've seen maybe parts of a movie or something, but I've not seen the I'm, show. I'm not a huge Mr. Bean person, yeah. but I think that's one of the ones that I have seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like it was a funny episode. I think I might have to watch it after this. In the United States, however, it's popular because of the David Crowder band who covered it on their album, Can You Hear Us in 2002. So that's why I associate this song with like, when I was first saved, which mm-hmm. was 2005-ish. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was obviously, like... We were saved around about the same time. Oh, check it out. But we're not the same age. <laughs> <laughs> we're the same age, according to the Lord. <laughs> we were born again same at the same time. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But, actually, this song is a lot older then I realized it was written, or at least the poem it was based on, was written about 800 years ago. 
Is that our oldest? Mm. Is it older than Be Thou My Vision? No, I think I think Be Thou My Vision is older. But now that I think about it, I'm blanking on when that was written. I want to say it was around the Crusades. Okay. So maybe it's similarly aged. But it, they're both pretty. They're pretty yeah. old. <laughs> they're real old songs, you know. So, um, yeah, the origins of this hymn come from a poem written by a relatively famous person, St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, tiny disclaimer here. I'm using the term saint here as a formal title within the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. not as an acknowledgement that I agree with how the Roman Catholic Church gives out sainthood status. Because we don't. No, Because no. we're all saints We in are. <laughs> we know this from scripture. All who belong to Christ are saints. Paul addresses his letters to the saints of fill-in whatever church, um, meaning that this category is only special insofar as... Christ's people are special, which Mm -hmm. they are. Um, But it's no offense meant. I just wanted to be clear on that. Um, Also, I think Francis of Assisi has been given saint status in other church churches, not just the Roman Catholic church. Um, But as you know, we're reformed Baptists and we don't do that. (laughs) So I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Cara? (laughs) Um, No, but I think it is good to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, like saying the president of the United States, he's not my president because we don't have a president here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of like acknowledging that that's a title that someone else has given him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, it's a little bit of a misleading title of the episode because we will be talking about the hymn, but The person who wrote this hymn is so super famous that we will talk a lot about him. It'd be like if the president of the United States wrote a song, like we'd, we'd talk about the song, but we'd probably talk a lot about the dude as well. Cause they're just really famous. And, um, as far as I could tell, this is like the most famous saint in the Roman Catholic church or very, very high up there. Probably one that even Protestants can name. Like if you said name a saint, you'd be like, "Mm -hmm." Francis? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and depending on which tradition that you might come from, if you're not Reformed Baptist, um, this guy is the patron saint of a lot of things. He's the patron saint of animals, of environmentalism. I mean, a lot of hippie causes, <laughs> basically. Um, and I think there's like at least one major city named after him that I could think of. Is that San Francisco? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And I guess most of the missions um, along the uh, southwest or the west coast of the United States are from like his order, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the mission halls that exist, this is like a thing in California. People will like go and visit all the like historical missions. And I think they're all kind of like... So from that order, that Franciscan so order. So the Franciscans, are they Catholics? Methinks. Okay, because I used to know a Franciscan, I guess you'd say monk, but she was a woman, um, sister, Moira. And just obviously, like at the time, I was only young and when you were three girls brigade and I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. But now you're like, oh yes, Franciscans are Catholic. I'm like, why was she at a, theoretically 
Protestant girls brigade. <laughs> Mind you, it's the lady minister that ran it. We'll not talk about that on this yeah. episode, but it's just, I didn't realize that they're Catholics. I think so, yeah. I mean, you, I'm not Catholic, so Catholics might, you know, go fist to cuffs over, you know, the the distinctions between the different priestly and Feel free and to correct us, but please don't like be mean. Yeah, don't, don't be mean, but... Yeah, I think I think it's Catholic-ish <laughs> at the minimum. At the minimum, that would make sense because yeah. the minister was Episcopalian, which I'm not gonna express my opinions on Episcopalianism because I want to live, but it's closer to Catholicism than yeah, it is regular closer. Protestantism. Yeah, yeah, it's much closer. So Francis of Assisi, who was this guy? Well, he was born near the end of the 12th century. He was from a wealthy family. Um, his father was a successful silk merchant and just kind of dealt in all kind of luxury fabrics um, in general. Um, and because of this, Francis lived a carefree playboy lifestyle. He had all the money. He had all the friends. Apparently he was handsome. Um, so he was, yeah, living for his pleasures. Living um, the dream. Living the dream. If your dream is Worldly to dreams. be worldly. <laughs> um, during this time, um, no, around the age of 20, he went to war against another nearby city um, in Italy called Perugia. I'm probably messing that up. Um, and he was taken in as a POW um, and held for ransom for a year. Um, and during this time, he developed malaria oh. and spent most of his time really ill. Um, but after the year, his ransom was paid and he was returned back to his family in Assisi. Um, but he wasn't the same. I mean, he'd been to war. He got really, really ill. He no longer wanted to live this life of luxury. He He's was seen things. It changes you, man. Yeah, it changed him. Um, and it changed him quite radically. He was often found giving to beggars and administering to the poor and had a growing devotion to Christ and prayer. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't like, woohoo, back to my money and my girls anymore. He was like, totally like becoming disillusioned with that lifestyle so legend has it that one day he was praying at the chapel of san damiano um which is just outside of assisi when he received a vision from god saying that francis needed to restore god's house so he kind of went about using his dad's fortune to restore the church's structure um, without his dad's permission. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. So his dad found out there's a lot of like, I don't know what's rumor. I don't know. It's not rumor. But they they went at it a few times over this. Um, And finally, uh, his dad basically confronted him in front of the whole town and was like, you need to like, stop stealing from me and mm. return to the family business. And the rumor has it that um, at that moment, he publicly, Francis publicly disowned his dad and he removed even the clothes on his back Oh boy! in front of the whole town and returned it to his father. And from that day on took a vow of poverty. Talk about drama. <laughs> yes. I think he probably could have talked it out eventually if he tried. 
He seemed like he was into the extravagant in terms of all all kinds of life uh, style choices, I guess. I don't know, even in the negative. Um, one, one really unique thing that Francis took on um, in his ministry was caring for lepers. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't really know, because it doesn't really affect us nowadays in like developed worlds. I don't know if you're allowed to Can say developed worlds. Just clarify that leper, not leopard, uh, <laughs> because that was not a distinction I was aware of as a child. <laughs> yes. And I'm just letting you know now that lepers <laughs> that, that suffer from leprosy. Yep. Um, so it's not something that we really encounter in the developed world, first world, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what's PC nowadays, to be honest. Um, but in ancient days, um, leprosy, to have leprosy meant you had a really hard life. Lepers would have to live outside of the city in these little like communes because it was very contagious. If you had leprosy, other people could catch it. And they were essentially outcast from normal society and no one would touch them for fear of catching this kind of flesh decaying disease um it stinks as well yeah i mean things that are dying tend to stink uh but francis did he he ministered to the lepers physically i mean he would hug them he would tend to them this is completely unheard of Mm. um and this kind of radical living you know the vow of poverty the tending to beggars and, and lepers um inspired many others to take this vow and to follow him so he he gathered a following of people who um, who were buying what he was selling, <laughs> which is, was nothing. Um, and this basically started the Franciscan order. And there's like a dude's branch and like a lady's branch and like another offshoot. I'm not, it's not relevant, but mm. the Franciscan order like kind of encompasses everything. So he did a lot of impressive and incredulous things in his life, including sharing the gospel with the Sultan of Egypt during the fifth crusade and somehow walking out of that situation alive. Uh, again, crusades, it was like Muslims and Christians literally going to war with one another. Mm-hmm. And here comes It Francis. was like mass slaughter yes. at times. Like you could lose your head for something like that. It was terrible. And the fact that he went, walked into Egypt, shared the gospel with the Sultan of Egypt and walked out is like so pretty incredible. I can't, I can't work out if he's like just ridiculously dramatic or <laughs> he's actually like quite a brave guy. Like it's really hard to tell. It's probably a combination, yeah. you know, it's probably a, a combination. Um But yeah, so he did that. And he also just really physically lived a hard life. His vow of poverty meant he spent a lot of his time begging and hungry. Um, His work amongst the lepers resulted in him contracting leprosy. Big shock there. Um, And he never fully recovered from the malaria that he caught as a prisoner of war. At some point later in his life, he developed an infection in his eye that left him practically blind. Um, so he did not live to a good old age, um, but he died in his forties. Wow. Quite young. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I, I know that there's art depicted of him, which we'll get to in a second, but the way he's described in his later lives, I was like, this man must've looked like, uh, like the walking dead. Like he was like 
his flesh was eating him. He couldn't see. Like, he had all these ailments, like, really, really ill, like, the last half of his life, really. And yet he was the head of this, like, you know, um, Franciscan order. Um, so this actually, though, speaking of the order, that this this order that he started ended up growing arms and legs. You know, they started to raise money. They started to buy property. They became more organized. And apparently he didn't really like that. Um, that wasn't his style. He kind of was like, no, we're just like loving people. We're just, you know, putting ourselves last. We're just, doesn't you know. Quite, when you go around buying property, it probably doesn't quite fit with his vow of poverty. Yeah, vow of poverty, exactly. Yeah. So um, he he left the order, basically, no, towards the end of his life. He just like, he was like, bye, I'm out. Um, and this is the part of the story that gets a bit weird. <laughs> it gets weirder. Yeah. So, okay. A, it, this is weird. Now, I know we have people who listen to us from all different types of church denominations, but, you know, we're very clearly Reformed Baptists and we have a certain view on what the Bible says and who yeah. Christ is. That being said, this is weird in the sense that there's some questionable things that happened in his life and kind of the rumor folklore and maybe religious worship of him after this kind mm. of gets a bit weird. So yep. apparently he went on a 40 day fast on the mountain of Verna. First of all, what? <laughs> 40 day fast. That's a lot of not eating. I mean, even Christ in his 40 days was had to be ministered to by the angels because that is an insane amount of time to not eat. So he went on this 40 day fast and he had a vision from God, the result of which he received the stigmata, which are marks. They're basically the marks that Christ had post crucifixion. So on his own body. Yeah. So the two piercings in the hands or wrists, whatever, and then the two in the feet and the piercing on his side. So <laughs> I know this is not our cup of tea here, but it's worth mentioning as it, it was the first ever case of this phenomenon. And some accounts mention these signs as fact, like, yes, he came down the mountain with these scars. He had boom, 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 boom. We saw it. And that's just how he came down the mountain. Were they scars or were they like open wounds? You know, given the fact that he had leprosy, it's hard to know. <laughs> hard to know. <laughs> okay. The other, there's, so that's one camp that's like, no, he definitely was pierced like Christ through mm -hmm. the hands, through the feet, through the side. That's why he came down the mountain. That's what his body was like in a state of ouchie. And then there's another category of folk who said, no, um, these were more symbolic of how Christ-like he had become when he, come, when he had come down the mountain. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more like folklore and legend kind of meet to, to, I guess, rest on this, you know, Christ-like figure in history who was so, so, so in tune with Christ that he received these scars on his hands and his feet and his side. So without completely train wrecking this episode, Cara, what do you think of this? I'm curious why he would have had the marks. Not like what actually legitimately happened, but why would... 
why would that be a thing? Why would Jesus just be like, hey, you're so like me. I'm going to cut your hands open. That doesn't quite... Maybe it's because I'm not um, that familiar with the sort of the ascetics and the Catholics and things. So I'm kind of like, this seems weird to me and maybe a little bit sketchy that there would be physical damage. Like why? Yeah. What does that... I don't get what that achieves really. Yes. So... This is where the roads diverge okay. very strongly from okay. our tradition and maybe the Catholic tradition. Whereas when it comes to um, our view of Christ, our view is that Christ, Christ's work was finished. We don't need mm-hmm. someone to bear his marks literally um, because his he was pierced for our transgressions once and for all. Yeah. Francis of Assisi doesn't need to be pierced again, you know, that why. Mm. I was talking to my husband about this before, and just because I was deeply confused why this would be a significant thing. If Christ already died and was pierced for our transgression and bruised for us, like why would a follower of his being marked in the same exact way be significant? And he said, well, there is this, this verse in Galatians six, where Paul says, um, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body, the marks of Jesus. And we actually looked up a commentary and stuff on this as well. And it's not literally like I bear the scars, the exact literal scars of Jesus. It means that the scars on my body are because of my following of Christ obviously you know Paul was severely beaten several times and like you know shipwrecked and like yeah Yeah. all kinds of stuff and so the marks on his body are um are the marks of Jesus in the sense that he's been persecuted for following him yeah whereas I don't understand where that comes into play with saint francis if i'm being a hundred percent honest i don't understand i think it is kind of like a deep love his followers had for him that they would make this a significant part of his like legend that he was so christ-like that he bared the literal same scars as christ and if you look at at paintings of saint francis after he had passed away which is not that long after this um you will see like you know lights shining through his hands and his feet and his side Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to like stir up that imagery of christ i personally am not a humongous fan of that but that is the legend that goes along with him i call it legend because i don't see how that would be a biblical Thing, unless he inflicted it on himself for That's some reason thinking. i was like unless he was up there and he was just like hey this is a good idea yeah uh, which is not at all sketchy no. um, <laughs> but i could see how it would be something that would become like if it wasn't true it would become folklore because mm. people are like we just look up to him that much yeah that we're gonna make this part of his story to kind of like show people yeah, how Christ-like he was, but also he ministered to lepers, which nobody did back then. And if that isn't Christ-like, then <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's that's exactly true. So, 
I know that's kind of a long intro to this poem, uh, but I think it's a good foundation to really talk about it. Now, the poem this hymn was based off was written towards the end of his life when he was bound to his bed. Um, the original title is The Canticle of the Sun or Laudes Creatorum. <laughs> Creatorum. I'm saying that wrong. Um, is sun is in son or is in sun? Sun. Uh, I have sun as in like the thing in the sky. Okay, I wasn't sure because when you're talking about Christ, it could be the sun or the sun. Yes, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, I guess it's most, so it's either the Canticle of the Sun or Praise of the Creatures is the way it's um it was it was written in like an ancient italian language basically it's like you know it's not like it was written in english so mm -hmm. that's kind of the closest translation we have it's a religious poem in which francis praises god for all his creations um i was quite tempted to put the whole poem in here but it's quite long so here are some excerpts that i think matter and we could discuss a little bit knowing what you know about St. Francis of Assisi. Um, so the one line, the first line says, Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, the honor, and all blessing. So it starts off kind of right. nice. Yeah, starts off kind of nice. Then you have lines like, Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon and the stars. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother wind and towards the end we have things like praise be you my lord through our sister bodily death from whom no living man can escape <laughs> so there's a lot of this mm -hmm. in the poem there's a lot of like sister moon brother wind sister mm. sky mother earth yeah, that's that's straying into the realms of. I reckon that's straying into the realms of mysticism just a little bit with like Mother Earth and Sister Moon and things. Yeah, so that is one of the things of his bio that I didn't really touch on because, again, this is from a theological difference mm. that is pretty strong between Protestants and and Catholics, but. There wasn't a lot of theological depth to his ministry. It seemed, that sounded really mean, but there was, it seemed like it was really emotive and not really. But we still have things like that today, which yeah. is kind of like, oh, I just, just want to love on everyone. Yeah. And that's my gospel. And you're kind of like, well, <sighs> yes and no. There's a there's a definition for love. There's a biblical. Yeah. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Part and of loving someone is actually telling them the gospel. Yeah, and <laughs> I also feel like knowing what he's what patron. He's like he's he's the patron saint of things that aren't really gospel related. It's patron like, saint of hippies, really, yeah, isn't he? <laughs> of animals, environmentalism, because he was known as being like, oh, I just want to love God's creatures. That's different from saying I just want to love God. Like not yeah. to be hard on him, no, 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 but no. that's a distinction I think is probably worth making. And I'm not saying anything about his salvation or the goodness of his work or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. Again, there's like volumes of books written on this guy and I 
you know, I can't be bothered. But it's, it's partly there's too much information. Partly yeah. it's above our pay grade, and partly yeah. it's God know, who knows and God who judges. So yeah. yeah, I just think in his poem, at least the the translation that I've seen, I think a lot of the lines in there go beyond scripture, and it is a poem, so it's not like he's like, hey, everybody, take this to church. But I'm a little bit itchy about like the siblings we have within creation it's almost that whole thing of like i can't remember what it's called where everything is divine yes what in some way we all every all of creation holds the essence of god and you're kind of like pantheism pantheism is everything is god Mm. oh panentheism everything god is in everything okay interesting i think we think (laughs) but yeah it's just that concept of like well god is in everything yeah yeah you'll have heard you might have heard it before it's quite a yeah so i think that's kind of the issue i have just knowing his history knowing you know what he's known for and kind of the mysticism that surrounds him the poem itself it's a nice poem and like you know like i said it starts out fine there's some other lines that are good in it as well most high all powerful good lord yes that is true he is the most high um but it does raise questions about how are we to understand worship um and i do think we we will have an answer from scripture Mm -hmm. later um on But before we go into it, let's actually just look at the translation and paraphrasing that Mm -hmm. is the song that we know. Well, I will say the song that we know with an asterisk because the David Crowder band version is not seven verses, but the verse that uh, the version I'm going to have Cara read just now is seven verses. And that is kind of like the most faithful paraphrase translation from the ancient Italian okay. poem. I'm just going to say at the the last line there are multiple o singies and alleluias, but I'm only going to say it once because otherwise it'll take quite a while. <laughs> we'll be because, here until tomorrow. You know, seven <laughs> verses. Yeah. Okay. So the lyrics are: All creatures worship God Most High. Lift up your voice in earth and sky. Alleluia, Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Thou silver moon with softer gleam. O singy, Alleluia. Thy rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven along, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou rising morn in praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice, O sing ye, hallelujah. Thou flowing water, pure and clear, make music for thy God to hear, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou fire so masterful and bright, that givest all both warmth and light, O sing ye, hallelujah. Dear Mother Earth, who day by day unfoldest blessings on our way, hallelujah, hallelujah. The flowers and fruits that in thee grow, let them God's glory also show, O sing ye hallelujah. And everyone, with tender heart, forgiving others, take your part, hallelujah, hallelujah. You who long, you who long pain and sorrow bear, sing praise and cast on God your care, O sing ye hallelujah. And thou, most kind and gentle death, waiting to hush our final breath, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou leadest home the child of God, as Christ before that way hath trod, O sing ye, hallelujah. 
Let all things their creator bless and worship God in humbleness. Hallelujah, hallelujah. To God all thanks and praise belong. Join in the everlasting song. Oh, sing ye hallelujah. All right. You had to like take a break, you know? It was like a lot of lyrics to get there. six and I was like, <laughs> one more? <laughs> yeah. It's very mixed, isn't it? There's some, like that last verse where it says, to God all thanks and prayers belong, join in the everlasting song is really good. Mm-hmm. And then you've got kind of like, oh, Mother Earth mm-hmm. unfolds blessings on our way and you're kind of like, don't yeah. know. Depends how you take that. There's, there's, a, there's a handful of lines even in that translation where I'm like, mm, benefit of the doubt what are you trying to say here yeah but in all i want to say that the guy who translated this his name is william henry drapper um he was an english hymnodist Mm -hmm. hymnodist i'm not saying that right um he published this in 1919 so not that long ago and i frankly think it's much more biblical in terms of its content than the original poem I appreciate him giving credit to our good friend, Francis of Assisi. Yeah. But I think he he makes subtle tweaks that change mm-hmm. it from being God is everything or whatever yeah. to recognizing that the creator deserves praise yeah. from his creation yeah um and he has many lines like that like you said to god all thanks and praise belong um he speaks of um all of these things like being in subjection to god so yeah. that first line all creatures worship god most high is also changed out to all creatures of our god and king right so hey everything 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 lift up your voice right uh, you know, the sun, boom, you need to glorify God. The moon, boom, you need to glorify God. You know, rushing wind, yeah, you're strong, but because of God. And everything is like, you yeah. know, all of creation is so glorious because it's showing off the glory of God. Um, and I think that's the heart of Francis's poem, but mm-hmm. it's just, it just goes that much beyond scripture where it yeah. makes me a little bit itchy. Is it just me? No, but I'm wondering if like, so is the hymn that we know based on Francis's poem or is it supposed to be actually his poem translated? Because I know that there is space for interpretation in translation, Mm -hmm. in which case is this a translation or is it an interpretation based on his poem? It is a paraphrased translation. Okay, so it's strongly interpreted. Paraphrases tend to be interpreted rather than direct. Yes. Okay. And that, you know, it's something that if you're if you're a hymnodist or hymnologist or a hymn nerd, and you and you're like, oh, I know tons about uh, you know uh, translated hymns. Like, drop us a line. We want to talk to you because this is one of those things where I'm like, translations are different songs. To an extent. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's capturing... Well, you have to make choices because sometimes there's not a direct equivalent phrase or word and you have to decide how do I best convey that in my language and it may not be quite the same. And different than a translated book, for example. Like, translated books, it's like, well, we're trying to get the context and the meaning as close Mm -hmm. as possible to the original. Whereas a translated hymn has 
meter and rhyme to consider that is much different. And, you know, even poetry it's hard. It's hard. It can be done. Like I was thinking, my husband just finished the Odyssey and that's like a, po- that's a long Oh poem. yeah. Gosh. So obviously that has some, a lot of, you have the, the person who, whatever translation he had, had to be really clever and also understand the context that it was originally written in and what it would be interpreted mm-hmm. as. So you have, but there is some creative license There's in there, room, right? Yeah. But what, William Henry Draper did is like he kind of fixed the poem a little bit. I'm not saying a hundred percent because there's some lines like Mother Earth, hold on, you know, <laughs> you know, stop the phone. But he obviously, I think he understood the sentiment and yeah. kept it closer to scripture. He gave him the benefit of the doubt as he well. He did. Like maybe yeah. we're not. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like I look at Francis of Assisi's life and I'm kind of like. Mm. <laughs> but then I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't mind giving him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. but I'm also like wary of giving him too much benefit of the yeah. doubt. <laughs> I think the I think the reason why I'm so critical, and I don't mean this as in like I'm better than him or anything like that. He obviously lived a very self-sacrificial life. Um, though scripture is clear, desire neither poverty nor riches. <laughs> so that's a whole nother thing. But put that to the side. He obviously was thinking more about other others than yeah. himself. And so that's very noble and that's very good. But I think the decisions made in his life, I didn't see evidence. Again, I didn't read a whole giant biography on him. Maybe there's one out there that shows his scriptural basis Mm -hmm. for the decisions he made. It almost was like emotional, like, and I understand the emotion too, because he had a lot of hard things, you know, um, being disillusioned with the wealthy lifestyle. I understand that wanting to care for those that were outcasts, like the lepers. I understand that. And there's biblical principles in there, but I don't see those being the motivation for why he did what he did. And so there's a lot of false religion out there that would have made all the same decisions as him without giving any glory to God. I think as well, um, the sort of, I don't really know how to put it, but the culture, the movement, the beliefs that have grown up around him Mm -hmm. and his order, I think have made me cautious as well Mm. of him himself which isn't necessarily fair because you know the founder of a movement can leave or die (laughs) and (laughs) it it develops and it changes but because of how it is and how it has been the franciscan order and um the kind of people who are really into francis of assisi's work tend to veer a little bit more on the mystic side yeah. and a little bit more on the emotion and the um, ex- personal experience side of yeah. things, which makes me a little more cautious. Yeah. Like I wouldn't throw the him out, but no. I'm also kind of like just, yeah. Yeah. It goes back to that paying attention to what you're singing. Uh, what are you singing about? No shock that this song is covered by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir um, <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't get too theologically detailed which is fine. Not all hymns have to be a systematic theology, mm. but um, given all of those question marks, you know, 
it does give me a little bit of pause. Um, yeah. It's still a jam that takes me back to the, to the 2000s or the aughts. But yeah, maybe, um, maybe I'll hesitate or just maybe pay closer attention to the lyrics next time. Yeah, I think it's just singing it with yeah. with some of this stuff in mind yeah. and not being too quick to be like, oh, Francis, he did lots of great stuff. Yeah. So obviously I can trust him. It's like, yeah. Mm, mm. Very true, very true. So now that we've been all depressing and sad, um, I think we should um, understand how scripture speaks of these things. Um, I, I would hope, and it seems there's a lot of overlap between the way both Francis and William um, interpret this poem and him. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with Psalm 148. So it's a few verses long. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful, but I think it shows us a lot in terms of how creation is supposed to worship God. So Kara, can you read Psalm 148 in its entirety, please? So Psalm 148, praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruits, tree, sorry, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I think we see from this psalm that, you know, the themes of this hymn are biblical, that all that God has um, created is due to give him praise. You know, and it's weird to think of inanimate objects praising the Lord. But I think it's just saying that God is so great that even the things that don't have a voice. I mean, there's that verse where it says, if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. It is kind of biblical. It is. It's to say that God is, yeah, God is so glorious that all of his creation, all creatures of our God and King, um, are, are due to praise him mm-hmm. for how he's made them. You know, we think of strong and scary things. I always joke, I don't mess with the ocean because the ocean <laughs> is a big, it does not care about how small I am. It is something very scary about the ocean and it's not the sharks. It's just the fact that it is this almost autonomous thing that does what it wants. But even the sea is subject yeah. to 
God and the sea in all its glory, the waves crashing, the roaring is all glory to God because he Mm. made the sea, the sky and all its vastness. Like he made the sky, the stars and all their twinkles and all their magnet. He made the stars. You know, we were reading to our son the other day, we were reading Genesis one and it's like, you're reading how he was like, let there be light. And boom, there was light. Even the light is like praising him, you know? And so I think there's, there's, um, a kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? There is like a poetic way of speaking about inanimate objects, praising the Lord, Mm -hmm. but it gets to the same point that those creations are like displays of his glory and even they will cry out. If our, if we lose our ability to speak, Mm -hmm. like God could raise up, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Does that sound like too far fetched? I think like looking at Psalm 148, there's encouragement there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you've watched a sunrise or a sunset and you've just like something in you. Oh, I was talking with my flatmate the other day. There was a, an eclipse fairly recently, a solar eclipse, but mm. it was only a partial one. Mm. And I was saying about remembering being very, very small. And I think I was in a field and there were people around and it went dark. And I'm assuming it was a, a full solar mm-hmm. eclipse. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even church people. It was just people in a field watching an eclipse. Mm-hmm. And I remember them bursting into applause. Wow. And you're just like, you don't believe anyone made that. Yeah. And you're, you feel that need to express appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be like, yes, this is something we should celebrate because it's incredible. And that's, yeah, an mm-hmm. example of mm-hmm. creation declaring the glory of God yeah. in its own way. Yeah. Its own inanimate way, I guess. Yeah. I mean, even that, even that quote from scripture that, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, you declare things with your mouth, Yeah, but the heavens don't have a mouth. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) In case you were wondering. (laughs) Yeah. But that language is clear. Like, you know, the glorious things of creation do pray. They do praise the Lord. Um, and they show his, his glory. I think if I've messed anything up theologically here, go ahead and correct me in the comments. But I did feel that that was like a beautiful example of from scripture. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure about the song itself, but yeah, the, the earth and the heavens Mm -hmm. and everything, they declare the glory of the Lord. And I think, yeah, that's, it's okay to say that. It's fine. Yeah. It's biblical. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Monet, for... Um, I know that I learned a lot about Francis of Assisi that I didn't <laughs> know before. Um, I'm so curious as to why he's a saint um, because you have... I think you have to do a post-death miracle, don't you? There's, like, conditions. You can't just be like, lol, I'm a saint. Or maybe it was a stigmata. Okay. Anyway, we'll look it up off camera. <laughs> you guys don't really care. Um, you can Google it for yourselves. Um... Yeah, but that was really interesting. It was interesting hearing about his life. And I think that did help us understand a bit more about the song itself. Um, and it's one with a question mark. We leave it down to your your conscience. Let yes. us know what you think. Yeah. And we will see you next week for another episode. But until then, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye. Bye.